0: Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today I'm going to be doing a film review for you of a 2015 film directed by Brian Hedgeland, and that is the film Legend. Now, if any of you are unfamiliar with this film, don't worry, I'll give you a quick rundown of it. It stars Tom Hardy in a dual role as both the Cray twins, so that's Ronnie and Reggie Cray, the infamous gangsters of 1950s and 1960s London anyone who knows their true crime and is into that sort of thing from period-based aspects, you will know who the Cray Twins are. But this film follows the rise and fall of the Crays. It's actually based on a book called The Profession of Violence, The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins. Uh, That's written by John Pearson. And this film, Legend, it's directed by Brian Hedgeland, like I said. He is associated mostly with screenplays he has done some directing and producing work but he is associated more closely with screenplays such as the screenplay for LA Confidential the 1997 Curtis Hanson film and Mystic River a Clint Eastwood film it's from 2003 and as i say this film is a something i've wanted to talk about for a while to be honest because it's something of a a film that i think is an underappreciated gem lots of people on the internet will know this film for the scene in which we get Tom Hardy as Ronnie Cray, going, is this meant to be a shootout? And various profanities on that side, which I'm not going to go into, I'll let you watch the film. But it's a little standoff between the Cray twins and an opposing set of gangsters. And people will know that scene for Ronnie, having a bit of a meltdown and getting a bit upset that it wasn't a proper shootout. It was, (laughs) and you see these gangsters come up with rolling pins and he goes what's that rolling pin you're gonna bake me a cake you're gonna bake me a cake and um it's just it was a really funny scene in an intense moment that is probably one of my highlights I'll say straight up right now is the unexpected humor of Tom Hardy as Ronnie Cray the slightly more loose cannon side of the Cray twins whereas Reggie was the more calculated and sophisticated side of the pairing even though he was just as violent as his brother and that scene in which they confront this rival gang, he was expecting a shootout and he he makes jokes about the rolling pin, it just, it sort of, it mixes the tone and that's what this film does, it's a biopic type drama based on the book, so based on things that are written in the book about the craze and obviously established parts of history that we know about, Uh, it has an all-star cast really to be honest, it's a brilliant film, then you have this brilliant supporting cast, we have David Fewless, brilliant, lots of really good big-name British actors in this as well. Emily Browning, who people might not know as much, but she plays a more crucial character to the story. She plays the character of Frances she, who is Reggie's wife, uh, so when she's, I think she's about 16 when Reggie meets her. She's quite young, they get married, and the film is told through her perspective then, shall we say. I'm going to go out all out on the spoilers with this one, so if you haven't seen this film, go and watch Legend before I talk about the next points, but I do think it's a very interesting film, like, when they use a character that's not necessarily the lead character, and uses them to narrate the story, because Emily Browning's Francis is the narrator of the story, as well as appearing in the majority of the film. We get a voiceover from her at the beginning, and towards the end of the film as well, And it's framed in this nice cyclical nature. It's a similar way to the way we use a voiceover in American Beauty with Kevin Spacey's character and a few other films that do a similar technique where, and this is the big spoiler thing ahead, Frances is actually, uh, well I say spoiler, it's history, but she dies of a drug overdose following all the traumatic moments in her life and the ups and downs of being married to one of the Cray twins and being involved in the lives of the Cray twins. When you watch the film, if you go in blind, because I didn't know anything about, like, Francis or that side of things, the Cray Twins. I knew about some of their key crimes and such, and, and the murder of Jack the Hat McVitie towards the end of their career, which led to their life imprisonment. I I didn't know much about their personal lives as such. I knew that they were very much family men, and, you know, everything was done with a strict sort of code of honour, as it were. And I've studied a little bit about them back when I was younger, but I didn't know a mass amount about their personal, personal lives. So I went into this film completely blind. You get this voiceover at the beginning from Frances, and she tells you a little bit about this the story of how I met Reggie, blah blah And then we discover that she dies, and it turns out that she's been narrating this from beyond the grave. She's been telling us this story from beyond the grave, and it's quite a harrowing technique that they use in this. I, I think it really, like I said, American Beauty does this and you're open blind with this film. You don't know that the character at the beginning is dead. You you don't know that. And I think it's a real big punch in the face when it comes to revealing that this woman, that this narrator, usually we're used to unreliable narrators. And in some cases we are still in that territory because she's very subjective with her opinions. And I think that the ultimate effect that you get from this is that she's a very contained performance by Emily Browning. She presents us with this doting wife, but you see that tragic side effect of how the craze affected others. As well as this being a story about them and their rise and fall, and looking at them as a character study in this film, you ultimately get to learn about the people around them. So obviously you get to see the likes of their mother, uh, the Cray Twins' mother, which I do think the likes of the Cray Twins, their mother, I would, it is touched on in the, I think it's the 90s, there's a 90s version, just called The Craze, which stars the Kemp brothers, and you know, you get to see a bit of that home life there as well, and similar take on it is done for this film, but, uh, you know, you focus more on the relationships they have, uh, for instance, other people that star in this film, we've got Taron Egerton, as Edward or Mad Teddy Smith, the character description of him is a psychotic gay man who is believed and rumoured to have had an affair or many affairs with Ronnie Cray. Because obviously that's one of the other things about Ronnie Cray is that he was gay and it wasn't really spoken of much and he didn't really like to see himself as gay. But at the same time, it's sort of like an open... Secret that most people knew about, but people didn't really talk about kind of thing because obviously he was one of the cray twins and he was the more violent of the two and even though they were both quite heavy fisted he was the heavier fisted one so I feel like with that one people were scared of him and there's actually a scene in which someone openly calls him gay and insults him for it and yeah, they don't really live to regret it really he beats them to a pulp and gets really annoyed with them and teaches them a lesson as it were and yeah he he denies that he is but at the same time he's a very complex character anyone who is interested in looking into the cray twins as a study as a true crime study there's so many different depictions of them. The Kemp brothers is one of them. The Tom Hardy version in Legend in this film is another. And obviously there's so many books that have been written and documentaries made about them. I think there's a documentary currently, I think it's The Secrets and Lies of the Craze, I want to say it's called, or something like that. Uh, it's on, for anyone in the UK, it's on the streaming service Britbox at the moment. Uh, but I do think that there's so much to read into them especially Ronnie because Ronnie was the more complex in terms of his mindset because lots of people thought he was mentally scarred in some capacity from something that happened as a child he is very blunt and to the point Reggie like I said is much more calculated and I think it really shows that bringing back to the film of legend Tom Hardy is a powerhouse performance in this he not only gets to play the really blunt heavy-fisted Ronnie He also gets to play the cool, calm, collected, but also still could be violent at any moment, Reggie. And I think that this film is entertaining in the sense for anyone who loves their true crime films. Obviously this is based on a book by somebody who wasn't necessarily someone related to the actual events that have been depicted. Clearly a book that had been done with a lot of research and a lot of other things in mind, but... I do think that, at the end of the day, that this film is a truly great character study. So, other points I just want to point out. I've mentioned some of the people that are starring in this film. Uh, We've got the likes of uh, Christopher Eccleston makes an appearance, actually. For any of you Doctor Who fans out there who may have grown up with him as your first Doctor from the 2005 reboot. Uh, and just anything Christopher Eccleston-based, really, because he's been in quite a lot of other things as well as Doctor Who. Uh, He does a tremendous job in this film. He plays the detective superintendent, Nipper Reed, in this film, and his job in the film, ultimately, is to try and catch the Kray Twins and make it his job to bang them up to rights for all the crimes that they've got away with over the years during this period that we're shown. And I do think that, you know, even though... You're rooting for the Cray twins. I think the film presents is a very interesting film because when I watched it, you you root for police characters and detectives in films that they are the main character. So, for instance, if the Cray twins weren't the Cray twins, if they were just some gangsters, you know, you'd probably be rooting for Christopher Eccleston's detective superintendent Nipper. But I think that because of the fact that obviously this film is centred around the craze, it's about the craze, you have to sympathise with them, and with the twins, you, I, I, you're kind of drawn because you're rooting for the twins, but at the same time, you're thinking, but what they're doing is kind of wrong, but because obviously, like, I don't know about anyone else around the world who listens to this podcast, but I know for a fact in Britain, we have a bit of a weird, strange relationship and obsession with true crime and the macabre and stuff like that is why there's so many true crime documentaries on our tv screens in britain at the moment and i suppose it happens everywhere as well because there's loads of true crime documentaries i think on netflix as well american ones as well as british ones but i do think that that obsession really enforces this liking for the bad guy rooting for the bad guy i mean I talk about film noir a lot and yeah, this one I could easily class as a neo noir because of the some of the stylistic choices. There's some shadowy moments in the film, so dark shadows and really cool set pieces from you know one of the clubs that the crays own. Even though it's in colour, it's very much it's got that noir feel to it. And because it's set in the fifties and the sixties, you get that aesthetic that you would get from a classic film noir just in colour with a modern cinema sense to it. But at the same time, I discuss, like I said, discussing film noir, in a lot of times, particularly I've been re-watching a lot of the Columbia noir ones, which by the way, not a paid product Placement or anything like that, but anyone who's into collecting Blu-rays and such, I'd highly recommend the Columbia Noir collections that have been released by Indicator, the Powerhouse series team. Uh, They have got, so Columbia Noir volumes 1 to 3 at the moment, I hope they do some more, because they're really cool. And they go through the back catalogue of Columbia Pictures' Noir titles. And a lot of the ones I've been watching recently, they follow the bad guy, as it were and you are rooting for him. Like, for instance, I watched a film the other day, it's the 1959 film The City of Fear. Now, just a quick context for this, this film, it follows a escaped prisoner, he thinks he's nicked a load of drugs, a canister of drugs, of cocaine, I think, but it's actually re- poisonous radiation from some experiments they were doing in their lab near the prison. And also, he doesn't know this, this the main character, but Whilst we're rooting for the police to find him because ultimately he's taken something that could poison millions of people in an entire city where he is, we see the effects it has on him and he's getting ill and the effects on his health and we're rooting for him to survive. And that's the same for other films like The Dark Past in prior title from the 1940s, 50s, where we see, I think it's William Holden, we see him battling with his own mind and we look at a psychoanalytical approach of things and we sympathise with a backstory of a dark childhood from this main character who is staging a holdup. The same can be said for the Krays. The Cray twins are imbibed with crime. You know, any of the Cray films that we've seen teach us to sort of sympathise with them, and even though we know murder is wrong, and it's not acceptable, we get this sense of, but they're still human, and they are people, and we get to know their characteristics and there are some characteristics which are a little less psychopathic or crime related that we actually quite like in them and it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure really as it were for anyone who likes crime drama and any topics relating to that because if you ask the average person on the street these days do you find true crime documentaries interesting or true crime dramas interesting they nine times out of ten they probably will say yes and it's not because they themselves want to become gangsters or psychopathic murderers or serial killers or anything like that. It's all because it's just interesting to know what's going on in the mind of someone to make them do such a terrible thing. And like I said before, us as humans, uh, at least I know a lot of people in Britain are as well, are particularly intrigued by these kinds of characters. We have the acid bath murderer, the Kray Twins, the Jack the Ripper stories as well. The list goes on and on. And then that's just in Britain. There's loads more in the world that we could be intrigued by and look into. And I think with Legend, it really does set a precedence for an ultimate dramatisation. And I think going back to the filmmaking side of this thing, the director, Brian Hegeland, he is mostly known for doing some cool neo-noir screenplays, and he brings that flavour of the violence and the action and the intensity from the likes of LA Confidential. He brings that talent that he has from the page, from the written word, and puts it on the screen and directs it himself. And I think ultimately, I think, you know, that style has really seeped through, because Legend, the Cray Twins are traditionally British crime gangsters. But the thing that Brian Hegland does is he brings this flavour of American Pulp Fiction into the mix. Even though this is based on true events and, you know, obviously we don't know the full extent of everything, it's got a lot of creative licensing here and there. But I think particularly the moments where we get to see the Cray twins, Rodney and Reggie, really sink their teeth into what they do best as gangsters, they are in themselves, even though they're British, they've got a flavour of American pulp in them. I, I feel so many connections could be made to L.A. Confidential, yet you know, we get the likes of Bud White, the character played by Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential in the film, even though the film's based on the book by James Elroy, and Bud White is completely the creation of him. The way that Russell Crowe portrays Bud White, and the way he was written in the screenplay by Brian Hegeland, you get sort of vibes of that in both the cray twins specifically i would say ronnie you can pair nicely with the likes of bud white and reggie you could even he's kind of got that suave sophisticated nature but he's still got that keen pulp violence in him so you could really pair him up with the likes of jack vincennes played by kevin spacey who's a cool calm collected easy breezy cop but at the same time you know that when the time comes he can pack the punches And ultimately, I think, to say that Brian Hegeland's experience in writing these two neo-noirs, LA Confidential, Mystic River, didn't influence his style in directing this film, it would be a lie to say that there was no inspiration there. Ultimately, I think I wanted to review this film because whilst I do love it, I do have a few issues with it. And I think it's because you look at the different depictions of the craze. So you look at the Kemp brothers' depiction... While it's very gritty, it's very dark, and because it's the 90s I think it was made in, you get a lot of very harsh graphic images. You get that in this film. It's a very violent film. You know, it's rated 18 for a reason, mainly because of the swearing. But I would say, I don't know, Legend, for me, is near perfect. There's a few moments where it sort of drags a little bit here and there because of the fact that we've got so many different stories going on and we're trying to cover such a, like, I know we're only covering, I think it's the space of, like, 10 years but we try and fit so many bits and pieces into a two-hour movie that I think that it loses its touch sometimes. Like, it's very crucial that we stick with the storyline of bringing Francis in, because I think Francis is a key difference between this version and the Kemp Brothers version of the Cray Twins, because we do get to see their family life in the Craze, but the Craze I think, is very much... There's lots of family and the grittiness of a 90s film in general. You get to see that, but then... I think with Legend, it's got that style of a noir novel, of a paperback pulp novel. And that's sort of the difference. And because it's a contemporary piece of filmmaking, you know, you've got Tom Hardy playing two people. It's a technical feat over anything. I think in some respects, The Craze, with Martin Kemp and his brother, Gary Kemp, I do think that that one gives you more of an authentic performance because they're two individual people going off of each other. Whereas obviously this one is one man doing the job of two people I admit I enjoy the technical aspect of it and the fact that it looks fairly seamless and you've got these the same actor playing two different men I just think you know it's a on one hand I think he's very good uh, he portrays two different very different characters but at the same time we get to see I don't know more of a technical feat rather than an acting feat sometimes because we know Tom Hardy can act but at the same time I do think that we could have it would have been nicer to have two individuals. And then have it truly be two individual performances. But then again, like I said, I appreciate the man's performance and the talent that he has. So I would rate Tom Hardy overall in that respect. As I said, Taryn Edgerton stars in this. I actually forgot that Taryn Edgerton was in this. So, you know, people will know him for the likes of Rocket Man, Eddie the Eagle, the Kingsman films. I genuinely forgot that he was in Legend. It's what, probably one of his earlier pieces of work that he's ever done. But at the same time, he plays a very bit part, really. He's a constant for, like I said, he's Mad Teddy Smith. uh, Someone who has affairs with Ronnie, allegedly. And we get to see, I don't know, so many little bit parts. Like I said, David Fewless is here. It's a big ensemble piece. I think sometimes it can get distracted sometimes a little bit. This is coming from a place of love though because I do love the film, I do enjoy it, it's a great watch, I highly encourage anyone to watch it but I do think, you know, you've got the story of the rise and the fall of the craze which is the overarching arc of the film, then you've got the subplot of Francis, which is mixed in with, you know, Reggie and the storyline of them, she's part of their rise and fall because she joins him when they're on the up and she falls when they fall and that's ultimately kills herself and then they go to prison. And then you've got Nipper Reed trying to track them down again. That's all connected. That's fine. You've got several key events. I think they're done quite swiftly. I would say that's my only sort of criticism of it. Is some moments are quite fleeting. So, for instance, when I studied, I looked at the book Truman Capote's *In Cold Blood*, and I had to look at something else that contrasted with the likes of this true crime novel. And I looked at the Cray twins as an example, and I genuinely think. I was looking at them and studied them and i've learned about so many different aspects of their career particularly the jack mcvitty storyline which in the film is a very small thing it brings them to their ultimate demise but it's a very small footnote in their history that's almost just as small in the film i would say the film has stylistic tendencies from neo-noir the acting's great but then also at the same time i would say it kind of plods along in from a story point of view This film is not a guaranteed amazing film, but at the same time, I think that you really need to do your research and look into the craze themselves. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to learn about the craze. Other things I would suggest as well, you watch the craze film with the Kent brothers. I believe Second Sight are doing a Blu-ray edition of this, a limited edition Blu-ray set, recently in aid of its anniversary, or they've done a restoration job on it. Uh, it's really that one because of the way it's shot, because that's actually shot on film. I think this one's a digital film, but the other one's shot on film and it looks really gritty and down to what the craze mean as a symbol of true crime. Other than also you get the um highlights because it's the sixties aesthetic. I love the styling, the production design. Anything that does period, I think has to do a really good job to really say something and project that era to me. And that comes through both the visuals and the sound. And the music it features very strangely. Duffy hasn't been around for ages, but Duffy features on the soundtrack and shit. I think it's a whole lot of love. It features on the end credits, and she also stars as a nightclub singer in one of the craze clubs in the background. If you know it's her, you know. Like if you know Duffy's voice, you'll be able to hear that that sound, that unique sound that she has, and she's in the background there. Very interesting to have a. I say she wasn't really current pop star. She was kind of on her way out but having a pop star of her kind in the film and contributing to the soundtrack I think it was a nice choice and the track itself whilst it's very modern and you can listen to it on local radio and everything like that I do think it had that nice flavour of the 60s more the 60s than the 50s because even though this film covers some of that territory the 60s is sort of the prime spot for all of this film's discussion of the Cray Twins. If anybody has already seen Legend, or, you know, you've enjoyed my sort of ramblings about the legend and the performances by Tom Hardy and this film in general, as I said, watch The Craze with the Kemp brothers LA Confidential, because Brian Hegeland's work speaks for itself, as well as Mystic River, and generally just read books on The Craze. This is, you know, it's turning more into, like, a very subjective true crime podcast, but related to film. But I would say that, If you're interested in true crime documentaries and you love this sort of thing, Legend is definitely one for you. I recommend watching documentaries that support this text as well as other film interpretations of the events and just reading books really, reading books on the crazed. Like I said there's so many different versions and interpretations of the events based on other people's own personal research but this film kind of brings a stylish sensibility to them and it You know, you see the sixty set fifty sixty setting, and we get to enjoy every moment with Tom Hardy in a dual role. And ultimately, that's what sells it for me: is Tom Hardy as the Cray Twins. That's one of the things that it's sold as. Tom Hardy as Ronnie and Reggie, and being the operative word. Yeah, like I said, if you enjoy crime films, watch all those supporting texts and just dig deep into it, really, because this is just me going on about how much I love it, really. But I think you know, cinematography speaks for itself. The performances are, you know, it's a very British film. It's very gritty. It's down to earth. You wouldn't be able to make like, I mean, there are no, I wouldn't say there was an equivalent. The only equivalent I would say is the likes of Al Capone in America, but you wouldn't find this kind of thing in America. And if you had American actors, like if there was a version of the craze, but they made it fictional and they made them into American gangsters. I don't know, some respects I think it, w- it would work, because they'd probably do an American twist on things, but at the same time I don't actually think that it would work, because it's so quintessentially British that you can't really get away with it. But that's all I'll say for that. Uh, whilst we're coming to the end of the podcast though, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek of what's to come in the next episode. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do it anyway since I'm on a sort of a roll with this. And the next episode I'm going to tell you is going to be all about two biopics musical biopics and I'm gonna be because they have got a connection with director Dexter Fletcher, they're both musical icons and you know, they're released within the space of a year of each other, really, one after the other. I thought it'd be quite interesting to do a little versus little compare and contrast between the two films. And that is Bohemian Rhapsody, the twenty eighteen Brian Singer, Dexter Fletcher, depending on how you're looking at it, film. And Rocket Man, the Dexter Fletcher film, which is about Queen And one's about Elton John. I will be discussing that on the next episode at great length. I shall be talking about the key differences, similarities, how they actually are quite similar in in each other, but also very different from each other. And I hope you join me for that episode because I think it will be quite an interesting conversation to share with you. That's all I really have to say on that. But for now, remember to follow us on social media at Take97Podcast on Twitter and at Take97Podcast on Instagram. Obviously, uh, keep up to date with all of our little bits and pieces we're putting out there. We do do quizzes, polls, questions, opinions, everything like that. If there's anything you want to hear from the podcast, please let me know because I would like to bring as much content to you that you want to hear as possible. So if there's anything you want to hear, I have put something out there recently, and there's other ideas going about my head. Let me know. But for now, that is a wrap on Take Ninety Seven uh, Film Podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. And I shall see you on the next episode, guys. Thank you very much for listening. See you later.